0: food heals podcast episode 230.
1: Another way that clean meat is better for human health is that it doesn't have the bacterial contamination. So it bypasses the salmonella, the campylobacter, the E. coli. And in the United States, contaminated meat sickens tens of millions of Americans every single year, sends more than 100,000 to the hospital, kills more than 1000 every single year. All of that goes away with clean meat. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals podcast with your hosts, Allison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in tinder matches. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben and Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately.
0: All right, welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Allison Melody. And I'm Susie Hardy. Today, we're chatting with the executive director and co founder of the Good Food Institute, Bruce Friedrich.
2: The Good Food Institute works with scientists, investors, and entrepreneurs to make groundbreaking good food a reality. He is also a popular speaker on college campuses, has co-authored two books, and holds degrees from Johns Hopkins University and the London School of Economics. And we're thrilled to announce that Bruce has an amazing book out. It's called Clean
0: Meat. It's co-authored by Kathy Freston. And I got to hang out with Bruce at this year's Mercy for Animals Gala here in LA. And it was just such a pleasure chatting with him and learning about him. And I just know you're going to love our conversation today. I also got to meet someone absolutely incredible. And I have to give her a shout out Food Heals Nation. So I walked in to check in at the Mercy for Animals Gala. And there's all these celebrities and they're calling their names. And all of a sudden, someone's calling my name. And I'm like, who knows who the F I am, right? So I walk up and this adorable girl is like, Hi, I'm Jenna. And I am a Food Heals Nation listener. And she told me her story. And I was blown away. Jenna, I want to give you the biggest shout out right now for being a Food Heals listener. And Jenna told me her story that she actually quit her job, dragged her boyfriend to LA moving across the country to work for Mercy for Animals because of being inspired by the Food Heals podcast. I was like so honored, super shocked to hear her story. And I'm just so proud of you, Jenna. She has also lost weight, she's gotten off all her medications, and she's pursuing the life that she's passionate about. And it was just such an honor to meet her. And I wish we had gotten to hang out more. But Jenna, this is your official Food Heals invitation to come and be on the show. Because the story that you emailed me after I got to meet you at the gala is so incredible. And it just warms my heart. And I want to share it with Food Heals Nation. So Jenna, this is your official invitation. I'm so excited for what you're doing in the world. Come and be
2: on the show. Next up, our interview with Bruce.
1: The Food Heals podcast starts now.
2: He's a speaker and author who is working to find innovative alternatives to industrial produced animal products. Please welcome Bruce to the show. Welcome, Bruce.
1: Hey, thanks, Susie. Thanks, Allison. It's a real pleasure to be here.
0: We're so happy to have you. Huge fans of what you do. So nice to meet you at Mercy for Animals Gala. So for our listeners, for Food Heals Nation, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh,
1: well, my name is Bruce Friedrich. I am co-founder and executive director of a nonprofit organization called the Good Food Institute. GFI uses markets and food technology to shift society away from industrial animal agriculture and toward plant-based and clean meat Alternatives. People can check out everything that GFI is doing and sign up for our email list on our website, which is just gfi.org, GFI for Good Food Institute.org.
0: And I'm a huge fan of Good GoodFit Institute and all of the initiatives that you guys are doing. Can you tell us a little bit more about clean meat? I know that we have talked about this before. We've had a number of people on from organizations like the Humane Society and Mercy for Animals. And I would really love to get it straight from you what the clean meat initiative really is and how it has the ability to really change things.
1: Sure. So the Clean Meat Initiative is a complement to the Plant-Based Meat Initiative. And I'll actually start with plant-based just because people think they know what plant-based meat is. They've eaten a veggie burger or they've eaten veggie nuggets or something like that. Uh, But plant-based meat is the brainchild of a guy named Ethan Brown. He founded a company called Beyond Meat. And back in 2009, he was working in clean energy and he read the UN report, Livestock's Long Shadow which argues that 18% of all climate change is attributable to industrial animal agriculture, which is about 40% more than all forms of transportation combined. And Ethan's brainstorm is that meat is just made of lipids, amino acids, minerals, and water. Everything that exists in meat, we can also make from plants. So up until Ethan came around, uh, people generally thought of uh, veggie burgers, veggie nuggets, that sort of thing. They thought of the target audience for that, as being vegetarians and maybe flexitarians. And Ethan thought, no, meat is so vastly inefficient. If we use plants directly, rather than cycling plants through animals, we can biomimic meat for a fraction of the price. And since it's a fraction of the price, it'll cost less and we can actually just replace the meat industry with plant-based meat. We just give people exactly what they want. We give them the the taste, the texture. It's basically buy Bio, not bioidentical, but biomimic and less expensive and people will flock to it. Clean meat is the complement to plant-based meat. Clean meat is for the people who just absolutely want to eat meat. And clean meat is real meat, but it's produced directly from cells. So right now what we do is we grow vast quantities of crops, we feed those crops to chickens and pigs and cattle and other farm animals a tiny fraction of what we feed to the animals goes into the animals actually producing meat. Most of it goes into the animals simply leading their lives. About half of it goes into feathers or scales or bones or blood or other things that human beings don't eat. And then only about a tenth of the caloric intake for a chicken um, and even less for pigs and cows and turkeys is actually turned into meat. So clean meat, you feed the cells directly instead of all of the inefficiencies of feeding live animals the cells multiply and grow and then you harvest the meat and essentially meat breweries is what it looks like.
2: And I have a question for you, Bruce. Are there any have there been any studies in terms of the implications of like the brewed meat versus grown meat in terms of health and health effects?
1: Um, well what we know to be true is that about seventy percent of all of the antibiotics that are produced by pharmaceuticals in the United States, about seventy percent of them are fed to farm animals. And that's not because farm animals are all sick. It's because farm animals are kept in conditions that are incredibly bad.
0: That makes them sick.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they're given antibiotics prophylactically. They're given antibiotics so that they won't get sick in the conditions that would otherwise sicken them. And farmers also discovered that these antibiotics are growth-promoting. So they're given antibiotics for growth promotion and also prophylactically. And yes, the antibiotics can collect in the animal's flesh and we can consume low-level doses of antibiotics this way, but the real global threat is that we're using these antibiotics in farm animals, which causes the bacteria basically to mutate and become superbugs. Right now, about 10,000 people in North America and Europe die every single year from these mutated superbugs. The UK government has predicted that on the present trajectory, that number could be 10 million people a year by 2050. It could cost the global economy $100 trillion by 2050, and according to this report, the threat to the human race from antibiotic resistance is greater than the threat from climate change. So, that is one of the ways that clean meat is significantly better for human health. Another reason is that another uh, way that clean meat is better for human health is that it doesn't have the bacterial contamination. Clean meat bypasses animal intestines. So, it bypasses the salmonella, the Campylobacter, the E. coli, all of the other contaminants that collect on the meat. And in the United States, Contaminated meat sickens tens of millions of Americans every single year, sends more than a hundred thousand to the hospital, kills more than a thousand every single year. All of that goes away with clean meat.
0: It's so amazing. And I'm so excited that you guys are on the forefront of this. And just going back to the Beyond Meat, that is something that revolutionized it for me as a vegan, where I hated veggie burger, So I wanted to support, you know, eating a veggie burger, but I never could find one that I actually liked. And Beyond Meat changed that. And I love the taste of the Beyond Meat. So how is the taste of the clean meat? I've asked a couple of people this, and they've all had positive feedback. But what's your opinion? Or, or you're vegan? Have you tried it?
1: Yes, I have tried it. And it was what I remember meat tasting like. Um, But I I think the fact that I have tried it and found it to be meat-like is significantly less important than the fact that meat eaters like uh, Mark Post, the founder of Mosa Meat, most of the staff at Memphis Meats, at Finless Foods, uh, the people who are working on it are mostly meat eaters and they're eating it. And they say, you know, look, it's a a bio-identical product. It tastes like meat because it is meat. Sort of like saying, you know, what does uh, what does pasta taste like? Pasta tastes like pasta. This is meat. It tastes exactly like meat because that's what it is.
2: But it is engineered differently.
1: Yes, it is. It is meat using a different process. So instead of feeding animals, which causes the animals' muscles, animals' cells to multiply and grow, here we're feeding the cells directly, which causes them to multiply and grow. But uh, either way, you're eating animal meat. It's just grown in two different ways.
0: I don't want to discount um, or gloss over what you are saying about the antibiotics. This is so important because what's going to happen if we continue on this trajectory that we are on? Correct me if I'm wrong, Bruce. But what's going to happen is we will have so much antibiotic resistance that a kid will get a cut and will die. Right? I'm not trying to be extremist or alarmist, but tell me about you know the, the concept of the end of antibiotics, the way that it's going right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, if if somebody wants a scare, they they can go to their (laughs) Google browser and punch in the end of working antibiotics. And you will find stories from the New York Times and New Scientist and Scientific American and CNN, like everybody has at this point opined on the end of working antibiotics. And it is exactly what you just described. Suddenly a cut or an infection that would normally be treated with a round of antibiotics Now the antibiotics don't work and you have to lose a limb or, and if you don't get to it quickly enough, yes, it can actually kill you. Coughs can become fatal. The flu absolutely becomes fatal. And you really want to scare, um, add the word China to your Google search for the end of working antibiotics because the U.S. is notoriously permissive about antibiotic use in the developed world. China is, uh, you know, a developing economy and and they're using antibiotics that are banned in the United States. But but obviously superbugs don't know international boundaries. So um, this is really a, a terrifying thing. And, and clean meat and plant based meat uh, are the solution to this problem. They're also the solution to how we feed nine point seven billion pe- people by 2050. The solution to what do we do about climate change? They solve a lot of problems that governments and big foundations and scientific funders care about. So we've got a bit of money into these technologies now. We're working toward a lot more money into basic science and these technologies.
0: So let's talk about the environmental impact that you just alluded to. So essentially, it's the unsustainability of the factory farming and animal agriculture that currently exists. That is the reason. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah. I mean, people can think about it intuitively. So everybody listening is eating somewhere on the order of, you know, if you're small, 1200 calories a day, if you're large and athletic, you know, maybe north of 3000 calories a day. And none of us are intentionally gaining weight. Most of us are not gaining weight at all because our bodies require that number of calories simply to exist. That same sort of thing is true for farm animals. So it takes nine calories in the form of soy or wheat or oats or whatever it is that you're feeding to a chicken to get one calorie back out. It's literally 800% food waste. So we have so many people incensed about food waste, and we should be. uh, About 40% of everything that's produced is thrown away. But the physiology of the chicken dictates that you are essentially throwing away eight calories of crops for every one calorie of meat that you're consuming and every other animal is worse than that. Chicken is the most efficient animal. And it's not just, you know, that means nine times as much land, nine times as much water, nine times as much pesticide and herbicide, nine times as much gasoline to power the combine. Um, And then you're shipping those, you're shipping the, the crops to the feed mill and you're operating the feed mill. You're shipping the feed to the factory farm and you're operating the farm. You're shipping the animals to the slaughterhouse and you're operating the slaughterhouse. So you've got the sort of rank and efficiency of it, and you've got all the extra stages of production. So that UN report that I was talking about that Ethan Brown read, Livestock's Long Shadow, it says that no matter what environmental issue you're looking at, from the smallest and most local to the largest and most global, animal agriculture is one of the top three contributors. So everything from water use and water pollution, to soil desertification, to species loss, to, as we've been talking about, climate change. Wow.
0: Wow. And also, how can clean meat and plant-based meat, I believe, how can they contribute to also ending poverty and hunger?
1: Yeah, I mean, that goes back to the nine calories in for one calorie out. And this is one that Eric Schmidt, so the former CEO of Google, Eric Schmidt, was speaking at the Milk and Global conference a couple of years ago. And he was asked to reflect on six technological innovations that he thinks will improve life for humanity by a factor of at least tenfold in the fairly near future. So technological innovation, improve life, factor of tenfold, near future. And the first thing he talked about was plant-based meat. And he talked about plant-based meat not, you know, because the three of us have a tastier veggie burger to eat. Uh, He talked about it because it will feed the world without the adverse climate impact. So it takes, you know, one-tenth the resources for a chicken and even less resources for pigs and cows. We live in a global marketplace where that competition for land and that competition for cereal crops It basically is competition between farm animals for developed economies and the global poor. So we have somewhere on the order of 800 million people right now who are living in what the UN calls nutritional deficit. They're not taking in enough calories to sustain basic life function. And indeed, tens of millions of people die from starvation-related causes every year. A lot of that is because we're eating so much meat. It's putting such a tax on the land um, and using so many crops that it's driving up the price. Um, And it's literally leading to global starvation.
0: You know, I'm thinking about my hometown. Well, I'm from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and North Carolina was just kind of decimated by this hurricane. And it's where all the hog farms are. And this is a place where the people that are going to be most disproportionately affected by a hurricane or anything like that from the runoff of all of these hog farms are in the poorest communities. And I'm just wondering, how are these communities going to be reached with not only... um, access, but also education, because I think of people that I know back home and in the South in general and no judgment, but they don't know any of this. They don't understand this. They think meat is the future. They think meat is what makes them strong and all of that stuff. How are we reaching out to people who A, don't understand this concept and B, don't yet. I know we don't all have access to clean meat yet, but don't even have access to plant-based meat or understand it as a concept.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the brilliant thing about plant-based meat and clean meat is that they don't require that anybody change the factors that actually dictate how they make food choices. Mm-hmm. So and the, the central brainstorm of GFI is that we can give people everything that they like about meat at a lower price. And it has never been the case in all of human history that you produced a product that gave consumers exactly what they want For a lower price and it wasn't completely subsumed. Wow. So if we can biomimic meat and as the scale of the product scales up, whether that's plant-based meat or clean meat or a combination of both, as it scales up, the price will come down. As the price comes down, you know, McDonald's and Burger King and Subway and all of the great Walmart and Target, like everybody just shifts to plant-based meat and clean meat production instead of industrial animal agriculture. And that reaches, you know, not just the poor of Eritrea and the Sudan and India. It also reaches the poor of North Carolina and Mississippi and everywhere else.
0: And when do you foresee this happening? Do you have any predictions for us?
1: So Pat Brown, no relation to Ethan Brown, the founder of Impossible Foods, he thinks 2035, he thinks the scale up is going to is going to get us to 100 percent. He thinks it's going to be 100 percent plant based meat by 2035. At GFI, our goal is, um, and obviously we're not working by ourselves, and one of the big things that we're working on is trying to get billion-dollar injections into R&D for plant-based meat and clean meat, Uh, but our goal is 2050, and we are on a trajectory that will get us if X is plant-based meat and Y is clean meat, we want X plus Y to equal 100%, and in order to get there, right now, plant-based meat is a third of 1%. Of the meat market, that's why the people in North Carolina haven't heard of it yet, or they probably can't afford it because it's still at, at higher price points, uh, because the production is just so tiny. But from 2017 to 2018, it went up at 23%. There was 23% growth in plant-based meat, and it would have been quite a bit higher. That growth was constrained by the fact that companies like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat simply can't produce as much as the de- as much uh, to meet the demand that exists, but if we can stay on a 20% year-on-year trajectory, uh, which is what we did from 2017 to 2018, we actually beat that. If we can stay on that trajectory. We're at 100% by 2050.
0: Wow. Okay. So this is going to happen in our lifetime.
1: It is. It, yeah. I, I mean, you know, Pat Brown thinks we're being uh, pessimistic by saying 2050. Uh, <laughs> if you Google Pat Brown Impossible Foods 2035, you can hear him speaking very convincingly about, for example, you know, one, one of the examples is... Uh, the Model T was introduced in 1908, and within five years, there were more cars than horses on the streets of New York City. I'm not sure how quickly digital film overtook non-digital film. Digital photography overtook uh, film. I'm not sure how quickly cell phones have overtaken landlines. But once it, you know, once the the snowball is rolling down the hill, it can happen pretty fast. And if we're successful in convincing, you know, one of our initiatives is to convince China to take plant-based and clean meat as seriously as it's presently taking clean energy. Um, If China decides to sink $3 billion into this initiative, then we beat Pat Brown's predictions.
0: Wow, that's a really good point. You know, thinking of all of the things that have just changed in our lifetime in such a short period of time, like I grew up with landline phones. I haven't met someone with a landline phone in probably 15 years, unless, you know, it's an office or something. But those things do change very quickly. Social media, there's such a, there's so much more information out there that can get into our fingertips quickly with the smartphone device that uh, most people have. I don't know what the percentage, but like what, 90% of Americans probably have a smartphone or something like that. And so the information can travel faster and therefore innovation can happen faster. This is a guess I am not predicting. I am just talking out loud. But that's kind of the way that I would see it based on what you just shared, which is really interesting.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. And our managing director for India, Virinda Shpende, he talks about plant-based meat and clean meat being a leapfrog technology in India. Per capita meat consumption in India is still relatively quite low. But as Indians get wealthier, as anybody anywhere gets wealthier, they eat an awful lot more meat. So he's talking about plant-based meat and clean meat being the meat that Indians, you know, that as, as they get wealthier, this will be the meat that they consume and will actually leapfrog over industrial animal meat. In much the same way that a lot of the developing economies, people never had landlines. They went straight from no telephone to cell phones.
2: Yeah, I experienced that in Europe. I was studying abroad there and the building I was living in was so old. There was no telephone. You got a cell phone. So you skipped right over that.
1: Yeah. And obviously in developing economies in you know, sub-Saharan Africa or in India or in rural China, uh, they just don't have the infrastructure for landlines, but they're getting cell phones and it's it's pulling people out of poverty because it's giving them access to information. It's giving giving them access to crop reports. It's giving them access to markets. It's giving them access to microloans. So it's, it's a lot like plant-based meat and clean meat in that it is a much better technology than the technology that it's replacing. And a lot of the world is not currently eating meat due to poverty, but plant-based meat and clean meat. I mean, this is the reason that Eric Schmidt said that this is one of the technologies. He called it nerds over cattle, which I thought was awesome. Um, <laughs> wait, 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 why? Good, <laughs> right? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's Eric Schmidt. He's the former CEO of Google. He mostly he was asked to talk about half a dozen tech innovations that he thinks will improve life for humanity in the very near future by a factor of at least tenfold. And he mostly talked about things you'd expect a tech guy to talk about. He talked about 3D printers for infrastructure and self-driving cars and watches that know you're sick before you know you're sick. So the hot, the uh, ambulance arrives before you even had the heart attack. That's freaky.
2: I don't know if I can get behind that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but the first thing the first thing he talked about was plant based meat. And he talked about it for its capacity to feed the global poor, high quality protein without the adverse environmental impacts. Remember
2: a um, minority report where they predict yes. a murder before. <laughs> that's that's what I'm what I'm thinking they, Well, I've heard that that's coming, too, to be honest, um, oh God. that oh the God. Chinese are working. They already have the face recognition software. But I did hear that's coming as well. No joke. I, like my, I, no, like I, a lot I, of yeah. like a lot of futuristic stuff is actually going to happen.
1: You know, I think there are some sci-fi novels where they have the idea of just sort of printing your meat on the on the uh, on the countertop. And there is, a, in fact, an Israeli company called Future Meat Technologies that is working on, you know, just like you would have a bread maker. You could have a, a meat maker right on your uh, countertop. Wow.
0: This is fascinating. I love this stuff. Like I love futuristic movies and the fact that like half of it is coming true and not to be conspiracy theorists, but like, remember big brother, you know, like we read these books in high school, animal now, farm, animal <laughs> farm. It's all, we brought big brother. We brought it into our homes with 1984. Our homes that, yeah. 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 That now I have to use my phone facial recognition technology to get on my phone and i don't know if they're recording me right now like i have it in front of me like is it recording everything i do we've invited these things into our home rather than i mean i'm not trying to be conspiracy theorists but it is really really interesting and like they didn't get it quite
2: right but it's the same concept like well this is this is one thing no i think they are recording us right now say hi hi fbi but um (laughs) but uh, this is what this is different this is one thing we can certainly get behind
0: Food heals nation. I love a good detox.
2: Of course you do. I know.
0: <laughs> I'm the who,
2: only person who, does. who loves a detox. Now, granted, they are amazing and you need to do them. But who, like, come on? Who, when they're when are they ever fun? Allie, come on.
0: They are fun in this case. I'm literally a self proclaimed detox junkie. That you are. I, that I you am. are. Well, I love cleansing my body because I can look and feel as healthy and as vibrant as possible when I'm clean. But if you don't love it, do you still think it's important to do?
2: It is absolutely important to do. Um, I'm (laughs) I'm joking, but I'm, I'm really just thinking of my own experiences. Like when I do detoxes, they're not fun. You release a lot of junk in your body, which is necessary and good, but then getting it out of your body is like often uncomfortable, and I get emotional. It's it's uh, it's a process. It's yeah. it's deep, but it is very good to do. I just don't that's, enjoy the process of doing it.
0: That's very true, and that's why I'm excited to talk about Teamy Blends today because this is a new detox program that I'm absolutely obsessed with. Because what happens is you get to eat during the detox, so it's not the same as finally. Yeah, the I love ones it. That, the ones where you just cleanse all day and you don't eat anything. This is one that you do along with your daily routine. So it's a 30 day program. I just started it. I do their Teamy Blends skinny tea in the morning, and then I do the colon cleanse every other night. Then I just go about my regular routine, and it just helps me, like, you know, detox all the extra junk
2: that my body doesn't need. See, that I can get behind. Yeah. Food Heals Nation, most Americans hold about 10 – this is so gross – about 10 to 15 pounds of (laughs) toxins in our colons. 10 to 15 pounds of toxins in our colons. That's gross. Which causes us to bloat, have low energy, low metabolism, and have issues losing weight, not to mention a whole bunch of other things. When we remove these toxins, our bodies feel so much better because they're now able to function the way they're meant to.
0: Yes. They're able to digest. Yes. Yes. (laughs)
2: So what have your results been like, Allie?
0: I feel it helping my digestion Definitely my energy my energy is more like maintained throughout the days, not like, you know, hills and valleys. I love the morning tea because it actually boosts your metabolism. It raises your energy levels and it suppresses cravings. And then there's the nightly colon cleanse, which basically purifies the body from the inside out, cleansing the organs while also clearing out the digestive tract of all the toxins, you know, the stuff we don't need caused by pollution and chemicals and all that junk in the processed foods. There's no laxative effect or anything like that. Don't worry. It's very, very easy on the stomach. I'm personally loving it. Susie, are you going to try it?
2: I'm looking forward to trying it because you can eat. And that was the one thing that I always had a problem with because because I turn into a raving lunatic when I can't eat. Like I have hypoglycemia. I need a little bit of food. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: No, I think that's great. And like those hardcore detoxes aren't for everyone. Just because I like doing them doesn't mean that everyone else should. Yeah, you're a weirdo. um, I'm a weirdo, and a lot of people do not thrive that way, and you don't thrive that way, and that's okay, you know. And that's why Teamy Blends is perfect because you can do this. You can go to work. You can go to work out. Like Susie, you were telling me about your hardcore workout you did today. You can do Teamy Blends and still work out, and still eat, and do all of the things. Run your business, you know. Awesome. I'm ready for my detox. Yay. Susie, you are in luck because (laughs) Teamy Blends is offering you and Food Heals Nation an amazing discount code. Go to teamyblends.com. Use the discount code FOODHEALS for 20% off any order, $49.99 or more. It's totally worth it, Food Heals Nation.
1: You're listening to the Food Heals Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes.
2: Bruce, tell us about your book called Clean Protein that you co-authored with Kathy Freston.
1: Yeah. so clean. um, I've been good friends with Kathy Freston for, I don't know, well over a decade. And we were chatting recently about what her next book would be. And she very graciously invited me to to co-author a book that has a chapter about plant-based meat and sort of the advent uh, and the history of plant-based meat and also a chapter about clean meat. Uh, But mostly it's a presentation about clean protein being the proteins that are best for our health. And so there's a chapter on beans and a chapter on whole grains and a chapter on nuts, and just the health benefits of these products, as well as a lot of how to shop, lots of really phenomenal recipes. And basically it's a a presentation of how much protein do we need? What sort of protein do we need? How do we get enough? And what are the best sources? And uh, spoiler alert, the best sources are whole foods plant based with uh, with some plant based meat and eventually clean meat once it's available commercially
0: no way. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> no whole foods, plant is you know, our mantra. But um, I wanted to tell you guys that Kathy Fresson's book, The Quantum Wellness Cleanse, I think it came out in 2008. That's when I remember I was listening to it. And I remember running around my neighborhood and it was basically taking things out of your diet just to feel amazing. And I did that cleanse and it was one of the most like transformational things for me. I think I was vegetarian back then, but not quite vegan. I can't remember exactly when I did all my transformations, but I was like giving up sugar and giving up coffee and giving up the other things besides meat that I hadn't even thought about at that point. And it was so transformational. I was losing weight. Her books are fabulous. I'm really, really excited about your co-authored book, because I know it's going to be so, so, so good.
1: That's super kind of you. We've been gratified by the response, and uh, I hope people will check it out. It's just called Clean Protein, Uh, Kathy Freston and Bruce Friedrich. And we have really nice endorsements from uh, Dean Ornish and David Katz and Michael Greger and David Webers and a lot of other doctors who are saying, yes, uh, this is absolutely the way that people should be eating. We'll stave off heart disease and cancer and obesity and diabetes and Alzheimer's and I mean, it's it's an eat to live sort of book that I hope people will check it out. And because Kathy's involved, uh, it's written with that same super friendly style from quantum wellness. I I thought quantum wellness was absolutely a phenomenal book as well. And quantum wellness actually looks, uh, it's quantum wellness. So I think there might be a chapter or two in there about diet, but it's a lot more. It's a lifestyle book that is really powerful about how to be healthy and happy in your life. So also strongly suggest that people check that one out.
0: Yes, I think I read Quantum Wellness first and then The Quantum Wellness Cleanse is actually her, the book that came after that where I did all those things. So that one might've been a year later.
1: Yeah, The Quantum Wellness Qu- Cleanse was inspired by Oprah. Uh, so Oprah invited Kathy to be on the show, invited her to put Oprah and her entire staff on a 21-day Quantum Wellness Cleanse. Uh, and that's where, that's where that book came from.
0: So- We have Thanksgiving coming up. Super exciting. It's a fun holiday, but it's also a challenge for people who are working on their health and wellness and trying to get healthier. And then they have this big holiday come up with lots of food. Some people have a lot of issues with family. And how can we stay healthier and and try to eat a more whole foods plant-based diet and try to not to be in judgment of overeating and things like that? What can we do this Thanksgiving to have a healthy, happy holiday?
1: Um, Well, we do, in fact, in the book, Clean Protein, have an entire section on sort of uh, how to transition toward a more whole foods, plant-based diet. And the book does not recommend a completely vegan diet. I mean, Kathy and I are uh, entirely vegan, but the book definitely is strong on sort of Kathy's concept of leaning in. Mm -hmm. Um, And we think most people, as they lean in, will continue to lean in. But we think everybody stands to benefit from Replacing as many of the sort of heavy animal based foods that they're consuming with more whole foods, plant based foods. Um, And we have some transitioning chapters that address Thanksgiving. Uh, We also have a bunch of just amazingly savory recipes that will fit in at any Thanksgiving meal. So for people who are interested in transitioning in this direction, I guess the, the biggest recommendation is enjoy Thanksgiving like you've always enjoyed Thanksgiving. Have fun with your family, give thanks for all of the blessings that have have been are in front of us. And I imagine just about everybody reading this podcast is leading an incredibly blessed life. (laughs) And if you are going to bring plant-based foods, bring enough for everybody. Uh, Because I can tell you from personal experience, even going uh, home to Minnesota, where all of my relatives are really big meat eaters, I will bring plant-based products and they will devour all of the plant-based products, which is fun. And then you're in a situation where you can sort of tease people a little bit about liking plant-based foods. But bring enough for everybody and, and bring your, your usual happy, upbeat attitude. And uh, if you Google plant based or vegan Thanksgiving recipes, you will be inundated with just massive numbers of phenomenal recipes. And And we also do have some in our book, Clean Protein.
0: That's great. And like, be welcoming and be open. You know, we hosted a Thanksgiving, it was a Friendsgiving for people in LA. I think it was 2 years ago and we're actually blessed we have two kitchens because we have the front house and the back house where the podcast studio is. And so I did all of the vegan cooking in the front house and the people who were not plant-based did their cooking in the back house and there was something for everyone. And you know, the people who weren't vegan or plant-based were still devouring all of the food that I had made. And there was a, it was like a half vegan and half non-vegan Thanksgiving. So it was really nice because it, I got to introduce people to some delicious tasting foods without being anti anything. It was just kind of like a love fest. Like, and people were like, Ali, this is delicious. And there was a few other people there who had made wonderful dishes. And so it was great. Like just share your food and create, you know, cook for people, show them what they can have. If you can't cook, go buy that vegan pie or go get there's so many restaurants that you can just get a dish from they'll cater a dish for you that you can bring if you're like me, and you're like, not an amazing cook, but you try really hard, and you just want to buy something, you know, there's options out there for you.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. A lot a lot of people, and I'm guessing not many of your listeners, but some people will adopt a completely vegan diet, and then feel like they can't eat with meat eaters or. Feel like they need to be all judgmental on people, and that's just you know that's not a train that anybody wants to get on. So so we should just uh, have the welcoming spirit that you just described and bring plenty of uh, delicious plant based food to share with everybody.
0: Yeah, I feel like we haven't delved deeply enough into the Good Food Institute and what they're doing because I'm really really a huge fan. And you have your Good Food Restaurant Scorecard, so this is a great thing for people when we're going out to eat. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. So GFI has four programmatic departments and all of our departments are focused essentially on the sort of uh, tripartite evaluate the the way that people make their food purchasing decisions. Um, It's price, it's taste, it's convenience. Literally 100% of your listeners and 100% of everybody, when they're making their food purchasing decisions, they think about price, they think about taste, they think about convenience. Health is kind of the only thing, other thing that even rates. And look at the lines at KFC and McDonald's and even go to Whole Foods. I mean, probably a lot of a lot of your listeners go to Whole Foods. It's a bit arresting to realize that 2% of all groceries are sold across. If you add up Whole Foods and Farmers Markets and uh, Co-ops, that's 2%. 98% is Walmart and Target and Kroger and Safeway and HEB and you know the sort of really big supermarkets. But even look at what people are buying in Whole Foods. And a lot of it is, is not very healthy, you know, within the context of uh, of how much food costs at Whole Foods. It's still its price, its taste, its convenience. That what That's what dictates choice. So um, at GFI, everything that we're doing is focused on the price, taste, convenient, tripartite, evaluative standard for food purchasing. And our science and technology department is focused on basically advancing the science and technology of plant-based and clean meat. A lot of what we do is focused on top schools for tissue engineering and crop sciences and plant sciences and other fields that will help to accelerate plant-based meat and, and clean meat. And we have a fellowship program on a bunch of campuses and that sort of thing. Our innovation department is focused basically on startups We want to create more companies like Beyond Meat, like Memphis Meats, like Impossible Foods. And we have fellows at six of the top 10 business schools and hope to have all 10 covered by the end of the year. Our policy department is what you would expect. We're working. We've got uh, a lobbyist. We've got a bunch of attorneys. We're working on both uh, statutory work and regulatory work. And then corporate engagement, which you just asked about. Uh, The biggest project of our corporate engagement department is outreach to and relationship building with the really big food companies. So at GFI, we have a fantastic relationship with Tyson Foods, with Purdue, with ADM, with a lot of the really big meat companies, and also a lot of the really global conglomerate food companies. And what we realized fairly early on is that GFI's goal, we, we started out talking about disrupting industrial animal meat. And we very quickly realized that the goal is not disruption. The goal is transformation. And we're going to be a lot more successful if we have these global food conglomerates working with us rather than working against us. And it's in their best interest to work with us. Um, As mentioned earlier, these products are going to be less expensive, so they're going to be more profitable. And the people who work in these countries, they're not invested in raising and slaughtering animals. They want to provide high-quality protein to people at a reasonable price. This allows them to do that. So super excited about what's happening in our corporate engagement department. We are also engaging with chain restaurants. And one of the things we've done, as you just mentioned, is our good food restaurant scorecard, uh, which if you Google those words, it will pop right up. And basically, we are doing outreach to the 100 top chain restaurants, evaluating their plant based options and working with folks to get a better grade year by year.
0: And how do we see the food grade? How do we how do we see the grade?
1: I think the website is goodfoodscorecard.org, I'm pretty sure. Um, and all of the restaurants will pop up and you can see all of their grades. The good food scorecard, I mean, GFI is mostly focused on basically markets and food technology. We don't do a lot that is consumer facing yet, although actually it's it's occurring to me this is coming out by Thanksgiving. So yes, the the PDF for consumers will be up by Thanksgiving. So you'll be able to download a PDF of the 100 restaurants with their scores, as well as recommendations for the entrees that we suggest that folks try.
0: Awesome. Okay. So when that comes out, we will add that to your show notes after it comes out after Thanksgiving. So thank you so much. And yeah, I'm seeing it goodfoodscorecard.org Scorecard.
1: <laughs> the PDF of the scorecard for consumers should be up at the beginning of November.
0: Awesome. Okay, great. So, Bruce, you know, one thing that we usually do at the beginning, which we haven't gotten into, is really your personal story. How did you get into the food space? What drives you?
1: So, I was in college in the late 1980s, and I read a book called Diet for a Small Planet by Francis Moore LePay. And in Diet for a Small Planet, Francis Moore LePay basically lays out what we were just chatting about, about we live in a global economy where if we are consuming animal products, we're driving up the price of crops, which leads directly to global starvation. And that argument had a real impact on me um, and caused me to adopt an entirely plant-based diet back in 1987. Then I was running a homeless out of, out of college. Uh, in college, I was volunteering for a homeless shelter and a soup kitchen. And then after college, I went and worked full time in a homeless shelter and kid, soup kitchen for six years, feeding people directly in inner city Washington, D.C. Um, still really interested in food issues, obviously, feeding people. And then I worked in animal protection for quite a while. I worked at People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals and then Farm Sanctuary as Farm Sanctuary's policy director and I was at Farm Sanctuary and and was friends with Ethan Brown, friends with Josh Tetrick, the founder of a company called Just, previously called Hampton Creek, reading about what Pat Brown at Impossible Foods was doing and just thinking, you know, this is uh, this is really the way to reach people. Rather than, you know, education is critically important and obviously we're super supportive of education. Education is, you know, how I ended up where I am now, chatting with you. Sure. <laughs> but if we can actually create products that people want to buy without requiring that people change their ethical paradigm, that is going to be absolutely game-changing. Yes, so yes. So, uh, so, then I and, and some friends of mine decided that we should start the Good Food Institute. And we did. And I was the executive director and, and the only employee out of the gate. And we have grown from me to more than 50 people now, um, including uh, managing directors in India and Israel and Brazil and China.
0: That is incredible. So you started this and it has grown exponentially. Congratulations.
1: Thanks. yeah we're, we're a little north of 50 people at the moment. We have uh, we should be probably 75 or more by the end of the year. so if, uh, if listeners are interested in getting involved, feel free to check us out at gfi.org up/jobs.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, GFI in my world, in the plant-based LA bubble that I live in, everyone knows who you are. So I feel like to us, you're a big deal. And I'm just happy to let Food Heals Nation know everywhere who you are and what you do, because I think it's so important and it's so revolutionary and it's so needed. And, you know, just going back to what you said, it's like the people that I know in my world who aren't in my LA bubble back in the South, they're not ready to adopt this until it's at Chick-fil-A and it's at McDonald's. And then that's when things will start to change. And I think And they are changing what I mean is change for them. And so I think that that is the thing that I am the most excited about when it comes to plant based meat and clean meat kind of overtaking and changing just like the cell phone did for the dial up phone or whatever it was called. I think that is when things are really going to change and I cannot wait for that day.
1: Yeah. I mean, that day is now. I mean, uh, you know, I mentioned I mentioned earlier, our goal is 20% growth year on year. Amazing. Uh, That gets us to 100% plant based and clean meat by 2050. And we hit 23% uh, last year, it was 6% the year before that. And I think we're going to see 20% plus year after year. And then, you know, I mentioned that we have staff in India, Israel, Brazil and China. The big focus of our international staff, as well as our policy direct department in the United States, the big focus is convincing governments that they should be funding these technologies. Because on the present trajectory, where it's basically venture capitalists in Silicon Valley as well as food-related venture capital funds, we'll get there by 2050. But again, if we if we convince the U.S. government to put billions of dollars into this, and they should, plant-based meat and clean meat are the solution to problems that governments know they have. Governments want to solve the antibiotic problem. They want to solve the food safety problem. They want to have food security. Like these are issues that China cares about, that Israel cares about, that India cares about, that Brazil and the United States care about. These governments should be putting billions of dollars into these technologies. And that's a big part of our focus. And once we make that happen, 2050 will seem pessimistic.
0: You know what? I'm with you. I love that. I'm so excited. Let everyone know where they can find you online, buy your book. You've mentioned GFI a number of times, but give us all the goods. This is the shameless self-promotion time.
1: Thank you very much, Allison. Uh, So gfi.org online, very easy to find. If you want to find me, just click on the Our Team link at gfi.org. If you want to see what job openings we have, click on upslash jobs. And then the book is Clean Protein, the revolution that will reshape your body, boost your energy and save our planet. Bruce Friedrich and Kathy Freston, and you can find it on Barnes and Noble or Amazon or at your local bookseller.
0: I am so excited for the book. Thank you so much for being here, Bruce. We really appreciate it.
1: It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right, Food Heals Nation, I hope you enjoyed our interview with Bruce. Don't forget, there are only two and a half weeks left to get in on our vegan vacation. Prices go up November 30th. Susie, where are we going? Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Who's coming to Italy, Food Heals Nation? Um, I mean, what can I say about it? We're leading a retreat. It's going to be wellness, classes, shopping, boat rides, eating, wine tasting, olive oil tasting,
2: what am I missing? I mean, it's going to be the best: sunbathing, flirting with Italian men or women, Ooh. whatever floats your boat. <laughs> 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 with a glass of vino in hand. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. If you can't find me, I'll be at the infinity pool, which is or the grotto, the grotto, or the organic garden, picking or up the peaches, or the beach, or on a boat. I mean. What
2: <laughs> why aren't you signing up right now? dot slash Italy for more info or to sign up right away because we only have a couple spots left. We want to fill in with amazing people. That means you. So get in
0: now at the lowest price we're ever
2: going to offer.
0: Go to foodhealsnation.com, click on Italy.